You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hayden Grove with Cleveland.com, joined by Chris Fedor, Cavaliers beat reporter for Cleveland.com. And we revamped the podcast last Monday, talked all about the post or the John Beeline era. Excuse me, not the post-John Beeline era yet, because at the time it was not the post-John Beeline era, but now it is the post-John Beeline era. John Beeline uh, resigning uh, from as his role uh, from his role as head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And J.B. Bickerstaff, now the man in charge, we're going to get to a lot of different stuff today uh, in regards to the Cavaliers, but we appreciate all of you who joined us last week as we revamped the podcast. So uh, we just want to give a shout out to those of you who came and joined us and uh, those who, who will continue to join us. So, Chris, I know that you were happy to hear about the turnout last week and, you know, you've brought some great insight into the uh, the John Beeline uh, resigning. Yeah, I mean, it was great that people jumped on board already. I had been getting a lot of questions from people both on Project Text and on Twitter about when is the Wine and Gold Talk podcast going to come back? Is that something that you're interested in doing? So um, it is back. It was a good start. Um, excited to keep it going. It's very, very interesting to talk about the Cavs right now, Hayden, because you're trying to figure out what even matters in the big picture. You know what I mean? I was yeah. I was watching that Miami game the other night, and I had a couple of ideas that I was kicking around about writing about, including the Andre Drummond-Tristan Thompson pairing that was a complete disaster for the Cavs. And then I, I paused, and I said, well, I mean, Tristan's probably not going to be back next year, so what does it even mean in the big picture? So I think it's hard right now to figure out what matters and what doesn't with this team amid all of the frustration and the change that's going on internally. So what does matter? I mean, it's kind of, a, you know, it's kind of a tough question. I mean, because I sit here and, you know, I'm on my way to the NBA or NFL combine this week and yeah. you know, won't be paying too much attention to the Cavaliers when I'm there, you know, saw the game in Miami. Uh, there was an utter disaster pretty much from the get go, but um, you know, they did win the first one after the break. So what, what does matter with this Cavaliers team right now? Oh, man, where do we start? You know, so many people are talking about how bad the Cavs' defense is, and yes, that is correct. But isn't that the NBA? Isn't that just the NBA? I mean... Well, it's one, it's the NBA, yes, and two, it's this team starting two guards that are both undersized and first- and second-year players. Like, that's not going to lead to short-term results, but at the same time, Hayden, like, they have to start these guys together to figure out if it can work. Because yeah. this season, so much of this season, was about answering questions. And the only way that you can answer questions is by doing it. 
But you can sit there as a fan and you can say, well, the Darius Garland, Colin Sexton pairing is not going to work. But you haven't invested in that the way that the Cavs have. You know what I mean? So they're going to give it every single chance to succeed or fail. And the only way that they're going to get this answer is by running both of those guys out there, seeing them succeed or fail, and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And in the short term, it's going to be hard. And in the short term, it's going to lead to losses. And in the short term, it's going to lead to disastrous nights on the defensive end like you saw the other night against the Miami Heat. Or even right before the All-Star break when it was a shootout game against the Atlanta Hawks. So I don't know that their numbers really matter, right? Team numbers, their assist totals are really low. Their turnover totals are really high. Their defensive rating is really low. Their offensive rating isn't great. I just don't know that evaluating this team from that lens is the right way to go. So I think when you're asking the question of what matters, Hayden, I think it's, is Darius Garland getting better as the season goes on? Is Kevin Porter Jr. getting better from the beginning of the season to the end of the season? How does Andre Drummond and Kevin Love look together? I think that's really important to monitor over the final 26 games because that could be the pairing Uh, that is still here next year, that could be a bit of the foundation of this rebuild moving forward, depending on what happens with Kevin Love. Like, I think the Cavs are going to take a look at trading Kevin in the offseason. I think they're going to field offers. But Andre Drummond is probably going to opt into his contract. So if you can't find a taker for Kevin Love in a trade this offseason again, you're going into next year with Andre Drummond and Kevin Love being key components of this sort of thing. So how does that pairing look? Can they figure it out together? Um, Can Jetty Osman, what is his role, right? Like we ask that question all the time. Is he a starter in the NBA? Is he he a backup in the NBA? Is he a seventh or eighth guy in a rotation? Like big picture stuff. um, I think that's what we have to pay attention to in the final 26 games. So what are, I mean, you know, I don't mean to make this so matter of fact, but um, you know, you're there, you're watching, you're on the road. What is your answer to a lot of those questions? You know, is <laughs> Dar- is Darius Garland getting better? Is, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. getting better? Is Colin Sexton getting better? What does the Kevin Love-Andre Drummond pairing look like? Um, is this something, you know, is that grouping of Colin Sexton and, uh, and Darius Garland something that you believe can work? And, you know, is Kevin Porter Jr. a starter for this team next year? I mean, what are your, what are some of your thoughts on that? So I think if we start with Colin and Darius, I don't know that it can work long term, Hayden. I don't believe that it can work long term. I just think there are going to be so many defensive limitations for this organization if that's the starting backcourt of the future. Um, You can work around that. Teams have found ways to work around that. I just think it's extremely difficult. And I think if you're willing to work around some of those limitations defensively, then you have to feel like you're going to be so much better on the offensive end. And I just don't know that Darius is going to be that kind of offensive force. And I don't think Colin Sexton is going to be um, one of the premier scorers in the NBA to justify some of the limitations that you're Um, exposing yourself to willingly on the defense event. So if we start there, I I think eventually those two are going to have to be split up. And I think that's okay. 
Like, it's okay if one of them turns into a six-man type. I don't know that that means that um, the draft pick of either one was the wrong move. Right. Um, I, I think there are ways to put them in other roles in the context of this organization that maybe can bring out the best in both, that maybe can mean more success for the team as a whole. You know, Chris, I think that, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, you mentioned something that I that is so so much on my mind all the time with this Cavaliers team, like with Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. Yeah. Um, th- what else could they have done? Like, you know, yeah. got, I think the Cavaliers got so terribly screwed when it came to the draft and the draft lottery because last year, you know, Darius Garland was the sixth overall pick, right? And this is a guy fifth. who fifth. Excuse me, fifth. My bad, fifth. Yeah. Fifth overall pick, and um. You know, the Cavaliers were the worst team, one of the worst teams in the league, probably should have had a top three pick, and instead they're sitting there at five. I mean, this isn't what they planned at all. They they thought that they had an opportunity to get a generational player, maybe like a John Morant, maybe like a Zion Williamson, and yet here they sit with two guys who are kind of on the fringe, and you kind of help, can't help but feel a little bad for them in that, in that way. It's funny, Hayden, because I've had a conversation um... – with one member of the front office about this very thing. And I said, like, how do you even approach this, right? Are you happy that you were evaluating guys properly or are you just, like, disappointed and crushed that the lottery luck hasn't gone your way? Because the Cavs loved, absolutely loved Luka Doncic in 2018. Loved him. Kobe Altman had been watching Luka since he was a teenager. He had been watching him overseas. And they tried. They tried to move up in the draft in position where they could take Luka. They had conversations with the Hawks at number three. They had conversations with the Memphis Grizzlies at number four in case Luka was still going to be on the board. So that was a guy that they loved, and they tried everything they could to do it because the assets um, were all used up during the course of competing for a championship in the LeBron James era, and that's what sure. happens sometimes. Sure. Um so I was like, do you look at it and say, at least you got the evaluation right? Or are you sitting there and just lamenting the fact that you don't have that kind of guy? And their response was, we can't do anything about ping pong balls. We can't do anything about number combinations. All we can do is evaluate, evaluate these guys the best that we can and then just live with the outcome." Um, and I think it's hard because the Cavs went into last year's draft, Hayden, wanting either pick number one, two, or four. They didn't really want three, from what I'm told, because they didn't want to have to make the R.J. Barrett decision. Because they felt like R.J. Barrett and Colin Sexton would have had a lot of conflicts on the court. And they just didn't want to come to that kind of conclusion. So they wanted one for Zion, two for John ja Morant, or four probably for DeAndre Hunter, in all honesty. Um, But they ended up with five. And then the year before that, they ended up with eight. And it was, by a lot of people's measure, a seven-player draft, where they felt like there was a drop-off after Wendell Carter Jr. So that's just, I mean, in in one sense, that's that's the game that they've decided to play, right? Because they have decided to try and build this thing through the draft. And when you do that, um, you open yourself up to part of your plan being luck 
with the way that everything's going to fall into place. And in the first two years so far, the Cavs have not had the lottery luck. In saying that, they had a ton of lottery luck the first time LeBron James left. Probably lottery luck that was unprecedented. So eventually these things are going to fall into place. And the hope is if you don't get the lottery luck on your side, you find a way um, to get guys at a position where um, you just turn them into more of what you think they could become initially. So we mentioned that with, you know, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland that, you know, they were, they were probably the right pick for the Cavaliers where they were selected. So here's the thing that you do, Hayden, here's the thing that you do. If you want to be honest about this sort of thing, like go back and look at some of the guys that were drafted after and say, you know, are those guys performing at such a high level that drafting Colin Sexton at number eight was a bad thing, right? So just go back and and look at the 2018 draft. The name that everybody continues to point to is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And I get it, right? He's probably been better than Colin Sexton. And you could make an argument that that was the guy that the Cavs should have taken. They had some concerns about Shea in terms of his quickness. They had some concerns about Shea in terms of his shooting ability and his motor and some of those different things. And he didn't want to work out with the Cavs. And they thought it would have been really, really risky at that position when they liked Colin as well to take a guy who didn't necessarily want to be there, who they weren't able to work out. So when they have two guys evaluated the same way, we're going to take the one where we feel like the intangibles are favorable to him. Now, does that mean that they were right? I guess time will tell. But it's not significant where Shea Gilgis Alexander is like Luka Doncic and the Cavs passed up Luka, right? Or the Cavs passed up Trey Young. The Shea thing, I get the argument, and I think I'd rather have Shea Gilgis Alexander, and I think a lot of people rather would have him. But it's not that decisive. And I think if Shea was here in this situation that Colin was in on his fourth coach in two years— um, playing on this kind of team, not having the mentorship of Chris Paul this year, not being in a stable organization like the Los Angeles Clippers last year, things probably would be different for Shea in terms of his trajectory. So I just find it hard when you look at everybody that was drafted after Colin that you come to the conclusion of that was a horrible pick by the front office. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it just like looking at the draft right now, a lot of the names that you see after Colin Sexton, Kevin Knox, Mikhail Bridges, Miles Bridges, Jerome Robinson, Michael Porter Jr. I mean, there's not a ton there in regards to, you know, a ton of upside and looks like these guys are going to be game changers. I think Colin Sexton, again, is probably right where he needed to be. And yes, okay, Shea was picked uh, three picks after Colin at number 11. Yep. So you're right. It's one of those situations where you look back and say, well, you know, what could they have done better? In regards to the 2019 NBA draft, I, I'm taking a look at it right now. Um, you know, when you have Darius Garland at five, but as you mentioned, you know, having those top three, I mean, I remember the Cavs, and you said it yourself, you know, the Cavs were salivating over the opportunity to have one of those three guys, especially maybe the top two. Um, but when you look at this, the, even behind uh, Darius Garland, uh, looks like Roy Hachimura, uh, maybe having a decent year, Jackson Hayes, Kobe White, uh, Cam Reddish, Tyler Hero. Right. <laughs> Maybe the Cavaliers needed a needed a shooter like that, uh, and they we might they might have one, and we're Dylan Windler. We don't really know. Yeah. Uh, who, until he gets on the court, but and here's the other thing, Hayden. Um, 
it's hard when you compare somebody like Darius Garland to, let's say, Tyler Hero. Yeah, because totally Darius Garland, players. it's totally different players. And Darius Garland played four games in college. They didn't draft Darius to be the best player in 2019-2020. They right. drafted Darius Garland at that point because they thought his long-term potential would make him one of the best players from the 2019 draft class eventually. Look at the guys beyond Zion, who's just an absolute freak, and he was the no-brainer number one pick. Look at the guys who are having immediate success as rookies. They all have something in common, Hayden. They weren't one and done. Right. John Morant yeah. wasn't one and done. He had a ton, ton more college experience than somebody like Darius Garland. So that was always going to give him a leg up. Rui Hachimura, same thing. Yeah. He yeah, was a junior coming out of Gonzaga. P.J. Washington, sophomore. So with the exception of some of these guys, Tyler Hero, Zion Williamson, whatever, you're not evaluating them at the same level as Darius Garland because there were circumstances with Darius that prevented him from having any kind of college career whatsoever. And the Cavs drafted him fifth overall based entirely on potential. And I understand that line of thinking. So that's why you just... You have to be careful, I think, when it comes to evaluating these guys because it's not apples to apples all the time. Have you take? I'm sure you have. Have you taken a look at the 2020 draft? Have you taken a look at, at you know, some of the guys that the Cavaliers might be interested in? Yes, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many questions. There's not a level of consistency. That's the problem. So um, the consensus number one guy still is Anthony Edwards from Georgia. And he has been up and down like a lot of freshmen are. What R.J. Barrett did last year as a freshman at Duke, what Zion did last year as a freshman at Duke, you don't see that very often. Usually these freshmen come in and they have their struggles and they go through these growing pains because high school to college is a huge leap. So that's the problem right now with the draft, or at least how people view the draft, Hayden. They're looking at it saying, okay, um, we could make an argument that Anthony Edwards is number one based on potential and based on skill set, but at some point, doesn't he have to play like the number one overall pick? And then LaMelo Ball, like nobody was talking about him as a potential top three pick just uh, about a year ago or something like that. Now, all of a sudden, he's jumped into that conversation. So um, all these guys have more warts than what you would want when you're talking about top of the draft. And I think one of the problems that's going to happen here is that nobody is going to be able to live up to that standing. If the guy is going to come in with the number one overall pick tag or the number two overall pick tag, they're probably not going to live up to that. And they're, the view that many people have of them, both in the NBA and outside the NBA, is going to be skewed. And it's going to be unfortunate for them. It kind of reminds me of that Anthony Bennett draft. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where, where it's... It's just not, it's not deep, not necessarily a top heavy. It's, it just seems like, you know, it could go any way. And, you know, the Cavaliers right now, are the second worst team in the league behind the Golden State Warriors, um, you know, say the Cavs do have a top, you know, two or three pick James Wiseman, obviously in the conversation the Cavs wouldn't, would they look in that direction as, 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 with a big guy? If they're trying to, you know, talk to Andre Drummond about a long-term deal. It's a great question. It's a fair question. I wish I had an answer for it. Okay. Um, the sense that I get is that for the first couple of years of this thing, 
the Cavs have been focused on talent more so than fit. Yeah. And I, I just don't know that they have enough answers on who Colin Sexton is and what he can become. And same thing with Darius Garland and Kevin Porter Jr. and Dylan Windler. I just don't know that they're in position yet, Hayden, where they can bypass a really, really talented kid at a position where they may be stronger just because it's not a great fit. I don't know that they're at that position yet. I honestly think they would consider Anthony Edwards, even though they're loaded at guard. I think they would consider James Wiseman, although internally there are members of this front office that have concerns about Wiseman to begin with beyond position. Um, like if there's, if there's an evaluation where guys are close, then I think position is absolutely going to come into play. Let's say hypothetically, hypothetically the Cavs have, uh, Denny Avdija and Anthony Edwards in the same tier. I think in that case, they would probably go with Avdija because he's a swingman and they need so much help um, at the small forward spot. But if it's, let's say, Anthony Edwards versus Isaac Okoro and they don't have them graded on the same tier, then I don't think the Cavs would say, well, we're going to take a Coro just because he's a better fit for us than Edwards, who is the more talented player. Does that make sense? It does make sense, yes, for okay. sure. And, I mean, I, the LaMelo ball thing is fascinating to me because, I, you know, obviously I think the ball brand, big baller or whatever, is kind of taking a step back. But would the Cavaliers, would the Cavaliers entertain that kind of potential for – you know, headaches or potential for kind of drama that we've seen in the past. Yeah, I think they would. If they consider him to be a good enough prospect and they feel like his basketball IQ, his passing ability, he brings all these different traits that the Cavs don't currently have at that position, then yeah, I think they would. Um, would it be ideal to have that kind of drama? Absolutely not. But I think they would. And I think that's why you trust your coaching staff. And I think that's why you trust your organization. Um, and I think the Cavs will always give somebody like J.B. Bickerstaff the benefit of the doubt when it comes to um, bonding with players, when it comes to communicating with players, when it comes to managing egos and personalities. That's one of the things that they really like about him. Chris, we'll have a lot of talk time to talk about the draft, I assume. So I, I don't want to get too much into it. And you did bring up something um, that I honestly forgot about until you mentioned it just now. Um, you you tweeted out after all this JB Bickerstaff, um, uh, John Beeline stuff that this was not this is not going to be an open coaching search. Come the I mean, JB Bickerstaff is going to be the guy going in, going into next season. Is that correct? And can you expand upon the reasons why that, that the case that will be the case for next year? So I should learn when it comes to the Cavs that nothing is finite. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, they've had six coaches in seven years. There's so much turnover with this organization. So it's hard to say definitely. I'll walk it back just a little bit and say that that's the plan. Okay. They do not have plans right now to go into the offseason and have a coaching search. Their plan is that J.B. Bickerstaff is the head coach, not the interim coach. Um, it was built into his contract, Hayden. 
Yeah. Essentially, that's why he's here. J.B. Vickerstaff had a lot of different looks from a lot of different organizations. And some of them that might have made more sense for him than the Cavs. But there was always a succession plan in place. Nobody thought it was going to be just 54 games into year one of John Beeline. But it was built into J.B. Bickerstaff's contract that when something happened with John Beeline, when he decided to move on, J.B. would take over as head coach. The Cavs were thinking internally, Hayden, that it would probably three, four years. That's what they were thinking, not 54 games in. But here we are. This is the reality. And I was under the impression, honestly, that before John Beeline was announced as head coach, that J.B. Bickerstaff was the front runner for the head coaching gig. He blew them away in the interview process. He has deep relationships with members of the front office, including Kobe Altman and his dad, Bernie Bickerstaff, who's a consultant in the front office. But he was just really, really impressive in the interview process. And the Cavs liked what he was able to do in Memphis with an undermanned team. They liked what he did in Memphis in terms of player development. They liked what he did in Memphis from a defensive standpoint. So this was always somebody that was on their radar. And he's going to get a really good chance to prove that he can finally stick as a head coach in the NBA. It didn't work in Houston. It didn't work in Memphis. The Cavs are going to give him a chance to show that it can work here in Cleveland. And I don't know that he's going to be a better coach than John Beeline. I don't know that he is. But sometimes it's about fit when it comes to a head coach. And all indications from players, staff members, and front office members that I've talked to over the last couple of weeks just about JB and what makes him so good, they think he's a really good fit for this group because of his way of connecting with players. And oftentimes when you look for the next head coach of an organization, Hayden, whether it's in Major League Baseball, in the NFL, in the NBA, which direction do you go? You go the opposite of the previous guy who failed. And J.B. Bickerstaff, the things that he does well are the things that John Beeline struggled with most. So with Bickerstaff, I mean, I think 28 games is not necessarily enough to get I mean, obviously, no chance. If, if, things go, if things go super south for God knows a reason and it's just a disaster, I think you can kind of figure that out from there in regards to maybe off the off the court but on the court I don't see how there's any way they could go into next season or go into this offseason saying okay well we know JB and we know that he's not going to be enough right how could you I don't right. know I don't know what conclusion you'd be able to draw fairly from that standpoint unless there was somebody that you were really really targeting last offseason that becomes available or shows interest behind the scenes in this particular job. And I don't know who would fall into that category. Well, so, I think the guy that would fall into that category is the guy who's their head coach right now. Right. You know, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Think, as you mentioned, right. They were, they blown away. And you know, this was the guy they were targeting, if not for Beeline. Right. I would think so. That was the impression that I got. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's going to get a shot at this thing, a real shot. I don't think they have a plan to go into this offseason and say, we're going to open up an extensive coaching search. Um, But at the same time, I don't know how they could go into 2021 and say, "Um, we feel great about our head coach and we know exactly what J.B. Bickerstaff is and we know exactly what the Cavaliers' identity is. And we know exactly how we're going to run things offensively and defensively. I think there are still so many questions that remain with this organization uh, that are going to go into this offseason and into next season. So there is no quick fix here, Hayden. 
Um, there is no magic bullet. There is no LeBron James coming to save this thing. It's really, really difficult what they're trying to do. And it's going to take a lot of time. And there's no shortcut available. I, it's going to be, I, I can certainly see the long haul coming. And again, I mean, it's, it's, you have some lights at the end of the tunnel in regards to, you know, maybe a guy like Kevin Porter Jr. becoming a potential star and, um, you know, the young guys developing more. But I, I agree with you 100% that this thing, it's very difficult in the NBA, as you mentioned, to rebuild. It's very difficult to, you know, try to put something together when you're in a position like the Cavaliers are in, trying to rebuild from the bottom up and rebuild via through the, you know, the NBA draft lottery. And I think it takes a lot of luck. And thus far, you know, the Cavaliers, maybe their luck kind of ran out when they had all those picks with Kyrie Irving, Tristan Thompson, Anthony Bennett, Andrew Wiggins. I mean, maybe that was it for them. And the other thing is, Hayden, it's hard on players. Yeah. These guys are human. And I know a lot of people are pointing to Kevin Love and his body language, and people are right. It's been bad. And he has admitted a number of different times this year not being good enough from a leadership standpoint, not being good enough from a veteran standpoint. He's called himself a bleephead numerous times. Uh, can we swear on this thing? I don't even know what the rule is on that. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm okay with it, but I would just rather not until we get the okay. <laughs> well, I'm not going to go by you being okay with it. Well, right, exactly. No, That's what no I mean. offense to you, but... no. I wouldn't be okay if you said it either, or if I said it and you said you were okay with it either. We, we, will, we will bow down to the head honchos on this one. So he has admitted being a bleephead a few different times, but it's like at some point we have to understand that all these guys are human. It doesn't excuse it, and we can criticize when it has happened, and we have been critical when it's happened. And Kevin Love, for the contract that he signed and for the things that he's gone through um, both on and off the floor – and for the role that he said he was ready to take on for this organization, he's got to be better. It cannot fluctuate in terms of his effort and his body language. But look, this is a guy who has been through the horrible and then he reached the mountaintop. And now all of a sudden he's in the horrible again. So to just expect him to be perfect every step of the way and handle this with the right touch and with the right grace I just don't know that that's real. Just like fans are reacting to these losses and to these horrible plays that they're seeing from some of these young players in the organization. How do you think players are looking at this? They know what good basketball looks like. They know what it takes to get to the mountaintop. And it's just really, really hard. And it's not just Kevin who's struggled with it. John Beeline struggled with it. He couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle the reality of the situation that he walked into. He thought he knew. He thought he knew what he signed up for, but he couldn't handle it. It's, rebuilds are not for everybody. Rebuilds are really, really tough, and they play games with you constantly. And there are going to be more slip-ups from Kevin Love, and there are going to be some from Andre Drummond in the final 26 games. Bank on it. And there are going to be some from Tristan Thompson. And there are going to be some from Colin Sexton and Darius Garland and all these different guys because they're human and they're being impacted by these losses. Um, so that's something that is really, really difficult for this organization, trying to instill a culture that is lasting and strong in the middle of this kind of storm is not easy. And Kobe Altman has his hands full and J.B. Bickerstaff has his hands full. And both guys have to be better. There's no doubt about it. Just like the players have to be better. So how so how are the guys responding to 
uh, JB Bickerstaff thus far? Like, is there a huge change in culture? Is there a huge, huge change in morale? Is there, or is it just more of the same in regards to the way that they're, you know, handling themselves, the way they're acting, the way they're feeling in that locker room? I feel like Hayden, it's just way too early. Yeah. He's played two games. Yeah. One no, of them fair. was a really good game. Um, they played really, really hard. They did the things that JB Bickerstaff asked of them. Like he took over on Wednesday from John Beeline and he said, look, we recognize the talent gap. We understand that there are limitations to our roster, but play hard, right? And try and play smart. And if you do those two things, you're going to have more chances. And they did those two things, especially in the fourth quarter against the Washington Wizards. And then they didn't do those things against the Miami Heat. So was it the fact that there was a culture change, the fact that they liked J.B. Bickerstaff more and that led to the win against Washington, or is that the fact that they played the Washington Wizards? You know, that's hard to evaluate, I think. And I think we need more time than just two games to figure that sort of thing out. But the one thing that I think will be different in the final 26 games, Hayden, I think the guys in the locker room will be more willing to give J.B. Bickerstaff the benefit of the doubt. And I think there's more belief in him as a head coach and a people manager than there was in John Beeline. Like if J.B. Bickerstaff calls a timeout at a strange time, I think they're going to be like, all right, explain to me why that happened. When John Beeline did that, it was, what are you doing, dude, who's never been in the NBA before? This is not how it works in the NBA, that sort of thing. And I think eliminating that over the final 26 games can lead to um, this organization being more productive, even though they're probably not going to win a bunch of games. Well, Chris, we're going to have a lot of time, again, to get into a lot of different things in regards to J.B. Bickerstaff and the Cavaliers as a whole. We're going to be back on Mondays. Um, But I do want to get into the section of the program that we have kind of just installed because I do like getting, you know, the fan questions in here and asked on Twitter. Uh, So you can follow us. You can follow Chris at Chris Fedor on Twitter. You can follow me at H underscore Grove on Fedor on on Fedor on Twitter. Excuse me. Um, And uh, both of us will be, you know, taking your questions and Chris put out a um a call for your questions today so we are going to get to some of those questions right now uh because again we want to be a fan-friendly podcast we want to get the listeners involved let's do it we have a question from our good friend justin rowan from canada Cavs canada on twitter um chris the question is since jb has taken or since jb has taken over the rotation change from garland being the first first to sub out to sexton subbing out for kpj do you think Sexton's improved passing has to do with being trusted to run some offense for the bench, or do you know if there's another reason for the change? So I think a few things. Number one, this started happening towards the end of John Beeline's tenure. Correct, yeah. So this isn't just a J.B. Bickerstaff-specific thing. I think John Beeline started to experiment with it as well. I think part of what has happened here is the Cavs have lost complete faith in any other point guard not named Darius Garland. Because Matthew Delavdova can pass, and he understands offensive defense, and there are some things that he brings, but he cannot shoot this year. His shot is completely broken, and I think the Cavs feel like that's way too much of a detriment to their offense, even though Delhi brings some good things. So they lost faith in him. Dante Exum is not a point guard. There is one guy that they look at on this roster 
as a true point guard that they can give big minutes to, and that's Darius Garland. So they have to find somebody else to run that second unit when Darius is resting, and the only other option really is Colin Sexton. So I think that's played into it because Brandon Knight's not here and he wasn't in the rotation beforehand anyway. So this was happening before JB took over. The other thing that's going to happen in the final 26 games, you're probably going to see JB Bickerstaff just experiment with a bunch of stuff because that's his way of getting answers to questions. He played Andre Drummond and Tristan Thompson for, I think, 11 minutes the other night against Miami. It was an epic failure. It cannot work. It will not work. They're just too limited offensively, both of them together. They clog too much of the paint, both of them together. So that's something that may continue just because he wants to get more of a look at it. He might mix in Larry Nance Jr. with Andre Drummond and Kevin Love with Tristan Thompson more than what he's been doing. So just be prepared that that's going to happen, Hayden, that some of these combinations and some of these rotations are going to be different because J.B. Bickerstaff wants answers going into the offseason. All right, we continue with the uh, question train from Twitter. Again, you can follow us at Chris Fedor and at H underscore Grove. Uh, we thanks to Justin for the question. Um, another question, and this is from Mike Schreiner. Uh, will Kobe Altman make a real effort to balance the roster this offseason? They obviously need wings with size. Yeah, I think it's going to happen by default, too, because yeah. Tristan Thompson leaving, and that's what looks most likely. That's going to unclog some of the front court stuff that the Cavs have to deal with here over the final 26 games. They got four guys that you can make an argument, Hayden, all deserve at least 30 minutes a night with Larry Nance Jr., Tristan, Kevin Love, and Andre Drummond. But you can't give them all 30 minutes a night. So if you take one of them out of the mix, most likely Tristan Thompson this offseason, that's going to help clear that up when it comes to the front court. Um. And I think the Cavs absolutely are going to try and identify some wings this offseason, maybe using the mid-level exception as a route in free agency, targeting some in trades. The problem is, yes, the Cavs need those kinds of players. You know who else needs those kind of players, Hayden? Every single team in the NBA. They're at a premium. Three and D guys, wings that can play the three, four, maybe even the two. They're very hard to come by. And in order to try and trade for one of those guys, it is going to be very, very costly. That's why um, the Cavs are exploring the NBA draft with um, as many resources as possible to see if one of these wings belongs in the conversation of the top five. Because if you look at the top five, it's a lot of guards and it's a lot of big guys. And the Cavs have a lot of both. Yes. And speaking of the draft, we have a question from John. We appreciate John, who uh, says he's a longtime listener. And he was uh, he asked a question last week. So we appreciate that, John. Keep it up Uh, with this draft up in the air. What's the ideal scenario for the Cavaliers? So I think the ideal scenario for the Cavs is Denny Avdija showing that he belongs in the conversation for top three. The Cavs have been internally hoping that one of these overseas guys, quote unquote, pops because some of these college kids have warts, right? I mean, the best player in college basketball might be Obi Toppin from Dayton, but a lot of people are wondering, okay, what is he in the NBA? Is he a four? Is he a five? Can he be an undersized three? Um, 
I I don't know what he is, to be honest with you. And I think a lot of people around the NBA are trying to figure that out as well. And it's like, okay, is his production something that you can focus in on, understanding that he's got more experience, understanding the situation that he's in is different than some of these ballyhooed freshmen that haven't really lived up to the hype. So the Cavs' best-case scenario is one of these guys popping and one of these guys, like, taking claim of the number one role the way that Zion did last year. I don't know that that's possible, but I think that would be best-case scenario. Yes, and we will have a lot of draft talk, John, so don't worry. We, there will be plenty to talk about in regards to the NBA draft, and we'll have plenty of time to do it because, like, like we were saying right now, we're trying to figure out what matters in regards to this Cavaliers team, and I think the NBA draft next year will certainly matter, especially if the Cavaliers have another top five, top three pick. Um, we want to continue with your questions, and again, send them in to us on Twitter. Uh, this will be the last question. It comes from Dylan Brady. What steps are being taken to maybe work with KPJ on his relatively short fuse? So this comes following his ejection the other night. Yeah. There's been a couple of incidents this year with KPJ, haven't there? You know, he bumped yeah, the yeah. ref. I don't remember which game it was. It was so long ago. He bumped the ref. He does have um, a short temper. There's no doubt about that. But I think the Cavs need to let KPJ be KPJ. The last thing that you want to do is take some of that emotion from a guy if their game is built on that. Now, you don't want it to get to the point where he's costing the team and he's picking up multiple technicals and he's getting booted from games. But this is a guy who plays on emotion. Part of why fans have gravitated to KPJ is because he flexes on dudes, right? And because he shimmies and because he does bring that kind of emotion. And one of the reasons why the Cavs really like bringing him off the bench is that his energy can be infectious and he plays the game with a passion and he plays the game with a joy. And I think in these kinds of cases, you have to be really, really careful about taking those kinds of elements away from a guy because those are elements that you really like from a guy. All right, well, that's going to do it for the questions portion. Um, we Again, we want you to send your questions each week. You can send them to our project text, or excuse me, subtext, Chris. It's subtext now. It's not project text. So oh, really? Our, yes, it's, sub, it's subtext. I know. All right. Uh, all these, yeah, it's, it's always a different name. So either way, you and I'll put it on the link to this podcast. You can uh, sign up for Chris's texts uh, from project text or subtext, whatever you want to call it. You know what it is? You know what, what it is, is it? Hayden? It's like it? all of these companies, including ours, that make you change your email password oh. every 90 days. Oh, Chris. I'm, 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 pr please pray for me. I have five days left until I have to change mine. I mean, I finally get comfortable with the way that things are, and including calling it Project Text, and then they change it on me. And then once I finally get comfortable with calling it Subtext, which is what it is now, right? Subtext? Yes, I, I guarantee they're going to change it on me again because it just seems like that's the way that the world is. I buy an iPhone 10 and all of a sudden it's outdated, right? And yeah. then you buy the new iPhone and then it's outdated. I just, I don't know. I can't keep up nowadays. No, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And every time I try to update my password, you know, I have to yes. do 7,000 loops to, to, yeah. you know, to make sure it's, it works and then it doesn't work and then I have to like, change from my email and stuff it's just absolutely ridiculous right so, and then you enter the wrong password repeatedly uh, and then you're locked out right 
then you're locked out and it's just an absolute mess. And it go, it's for everybody in our company. I'm sure it's not only our company too. I'm sure it's, you know, a ton of companies around the world. And it's just insane to me. Yep. Absolutely insane. But either way, regardless, you can sign up for Chris's project text. Um, we'll put the link on the uh, cleveland.com or we'll pull, we'll put that link in the post on cleveland.com and I'll put my link in there as well. You can get uh, all, all of our project texts or subtext or whatever you want to call them. You can send your questions there. Um, and uh, we will be posting these uh, podcasts every Monday. So the Wine and Gold Talk podcast is back every Monday. We now have a logo, Chris. So we're, yes. we're, heading, back, we're heading back in the right direction. We have a logo. Boy, you know you've made it big when you've got a logo. Oh, I know. Finally, we got a logo. And uh, up next, apparently, we're going to have some uh, production values. We're going to you know, maybe maybe even add a little bit of a theme song at the beginning. I, I will not be singing the theme song. Uh, but we will we will definitely be having some sort of theme song at the beginning and end, and uh, maybe we'll get some advertisements in here. It's it's coming back slowly but surely. Maybe like the Cavaliers, you know, it's gonna wow. be a long re- it's gonna be a rebuild, but hopefully we can get to the top. That's nice. I like to hear it. It's good that they're investing. Put the resources yes. in. Any good travel stories uh, from Washington or Miami? Oh, I wanted to ask you real quick about um, the Dwayne Wade retirement. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, it, you know. Dwayne Wade was here for a, a fun, what was it, six, seven months, maybe a little more. Was it that um, long? Yeah, I don't it, was. Think it was. No, I no, don't think was it was that long. Didn't no. he get here in September and he left in February? How long is that? That's five months. That's five, five months. months. Yeah. About five months. All right. Well, I was including training camp and all that. He wasn't here. Oh, he wasn't. You're right. He wasn't there in training camp. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that, just, <laughs> that just goes to show you're exactly right. Um, well, anyway, he was with Cleveland for a short five months and, uh, it was a great, um, memorable five months, though, wasn't it? It, it was. It was memorable. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. The stories that came out of those five months, let me tell you <laughs> what. Um, it, you know what? We the, the queue used to be like a, a who's who of celebrities. On one given night, you could have Gabby Union, Kate Bach, uh, Khloe Kardashian, uh, whoever else at the, at, the, uh, at the old Quicken Loans Arena every night. It was insane. Yeah. That's but, but with Dwayne Wade... Um, you know, what he brought to the Cavaliers locker room was leadership, was, um, you know, a veteran presence. But uh, the other night in Miami must have been really special when his uh, number was retired, Chris. It was. I mean, I don't take moments like that for granted. I was there for Manu's retirement celebration, too. And I know that the Cavs didn't take it for granted. It's just, like, cool to be a part of that kind of history. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. What did, oh. you, make of, what did you make of the scene? Well, I don't know, because somebody's at my door. So hold on. Oh, <laughs> Somebody was at my door. You too. take it's all the right. reins. It's all good. <laughs> I'll take the reins. So what I will say about Dwayne Wade, and what I will say about the uh, the ceremony that I watched on television. I mean, first of all, Kavia James, their little daughter, is so freaking cute. She's got these like little cheeks, and they call her Shady Baby. She's got she's always got these like um, this face on her, like she's over it. Uh, and she was like walking around like she owned the place. I don't know. I, I'm obsessed with that little girl. She's awesome. And uh, obviously not a dry in the house. He had some great words to say about uh, Kobe Bryant. So that's what I will say about the Dwayne Wade retirement ceremony because I wasn't there. But Chris, okay, I'm you're back. back. You're back. Yeah. Okay. I was, talking have... about Ka- I was talking about Kavya and how much I love Kavya. Who is Kavya? Oh, the little, little one. The little, little one. Yes. 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 One. yes. She adorable. is adorable. Adorable. But, but I thought... I thought Dwayne did it really, really well. Um, and I was hoping that internally, I was hoping that members of the Cavs were listening to it and watching it because he talked about building a culture and because he talked about buying in fully. 
and because he talked about relationships and leadership and stuff like that. And if you think about some of the issues that the Cavs have had this year, Hayden, beyond the fact that there is a significant talent gap that they have to overcome on a nightly basis, there are things in this organization's and this roster's control that they haven't done a good enough job of. And yes, I know that it's hard, and I know that John Beeline could be difficult in things along those lines. And you have to believe in the coach, and you have to um, you have to look at him and say, "This guy knows what he's talking about," in order to believe in him. And there wasn't a lot of that internally, but some of the stuff that Dwayne Wade was trying to get across in his speech, thanking everybody and talking about the ups and downs and stuff. I thought that could have resonated with the Cavs because um, the things that they can control, they have to do a better job of controlling moving into the future. If this rebuild is going to work, you know, Dwayne, I mean, obviously I grew up in South Florida and and I watched how he took over that city and took over that, you know, the entirety of South Florida and, and just the way that he kind of became a, you know, a larger than life figure in, in Miami. And, and, I think that yes, Dwayne Wade was such a big part of the reason that the Miami Heat are going to be, you know, are this this team with incredible culture and all that. But does it go back to Mickey Harrison? Does it go back to Pat Riley? Does it go back to some of these guys that you know have the culture, you know, from the top to allow for you know continued success? Be it with Dwayne Wade and Shaq, Dwayne Wade and LeBron. Now you have Jimmy Butler and a lot of these young kids. I mean. Is that is it is it more so on them? Not more so on them, but is is it as much on them as it is on a Dwayne Wade? It starts at the top for sure. There's no doubt about that, and that's the thing that I've said all along when it comes to the Cavs: leadership, culture. That all starts at the top. Um, so I think everybody involved with this season and the way that this season has gone for the Cavs, and not everything's been a disaster, but a lot of it has been really, really tough on a lot of different people. So everybody involved um, with the things that have gone wrong for the Cavs, they have to grab a mirror and they have to look into it. They have to evaluate themselves at the end of this year. Just like Kobe Altman and the front office is going to evaluate every single player at the end of every single year, they have to evaluate themselves. And Dan Gilbert has to evaluate himself and the way that he runs things from an organizational standpoint. And J.B. Bickerstaff is going to have to look at himself in the mirror and ask himself if there's anything that he could have done better in the first half of the season as John Beeline's lead assistant. And John Beeline, who before the next job that he gets, whatever it is going to be, he needs to look at himself in the mirror. So, yes, that all starts at the top. And the Miami Heat have that culture in place. Um, And it would be great for the Cavs or other teams to get to that kind of level as Miami. But it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes a clear direction. It takes buy-in from everybody. Um, in saying that, Hayden, there's a reason why there's only one team in the NBA doing it like the Miami Heat. That's you know what I mean? True. Everybody's yeah. got their own culture. Everybody's got their own style. Everybody's got their own way. Miami's way works for Miami, right? It may not work for the Cavs. Not everything about it may work for the Golden State Warriors. Not everything about it may work for the Los Angeles Lakers. So that's another lesson here is that Miami does it its way. The Cavs have to find a way to do it the Cavaliers way and have it be lasting and meaningful. Do you have a favorite D-Wade memory either from his time in Cleveland or his time with the Heat or whenever? My favorite memory of D-Wade was what he did in the NBA Finals against the Dallas Mavericks. As a young kid, 
it was Shaq's team, right? But D-Wade took over those NBA finals. And, and the performance that he had and the way that he did it, Dallas had no answers, none whatsoever for him. And it was just incredible to see that kind of performance from such a young up-and-coming star on that stage. That was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'll disagree with you a little bit. I mean, you said it was Shaq's team, and I, I hear you there. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I think Dwayne Wade just, yes, Shaq was the bigger name, I guess, and, and maybe Dwayne couldn't have done it without Shaq. But, you know, even when, even when LeBron was in Miami, I just always felt that Dwayne had this kind of control over mm-hmm. the city of Miami, over, you know, over the heat. He kind of, he was there. He was the one that was going to answer to, you know, the big questions. He was the one that was going to, you know, just have that face of the franchise. And I know, you know, again, I believe that LeBron James, the greatest play, basketball player to ever play the game. And we could argue that at a different time if you have a different answer. But, um, you know, when he was in Miami, I always said, you know, it's still Dwayne's team. Dwayne is the guy that, you know, he's he's older. He's a little more wise in the tooth. He's a little more um, he just has that kind of he had that kind of stranglehold over that city and that team where I was always going to say, you know what, this is Dwayne's Dwayne, 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 Dwayne. It's not going to be LeBron. It's not going to be Shaquille. It's going to be Dwayne. Always Dwayne. Did you say wise in the tooth? Is that a thing? Long in the, long in the tooth. Sorry, long in the tooth. Long, <laughs> right. long. I mean, look, I mess up those axioms all the time. I just didn't know if that was a new one that I missed out no, on. No, long like in the that. tooth. Sorry, right. long yeah. in the tooth. I meant wise and long in the tooth at the same time. We can make a, we can make a new one, you know. Why not? See, see if it just hangs on. See if yeah, people grab to it. Why why isn't the tooth? Why not? Why not? Um, all right. Well, that's been a I think it's been a successful second episode of the uh, our second episode of the revamped Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I think um, it was wise in the tooth. It was wise in the tooth. Hey, whatever that means. We don't necessarily know what that means, but whatever that means. Um, any travels coming up, Chris? That we should uh, we should be, be get ready to talk about. So seven of the next eight are actually at home, which yep. is cool. The only um, the only game on the road in between there is New Orleans. So against Zion. Oh, there you go. Or yes, Friday, two twenty eight. You'll be down there in uh in New Orleans. Yep. I, I'm not expecting too many Bourbon Street stories from you. Why not? I mean, I, I'm just saying maybe there maybe there will be. I don't know. My old partner at Cleveland.com is going to be making that trip with me. And who is that? Joe Varden. Joe Var. Oh well, there might be some. Uh, there might be some Bourbon Street stories. Joe and I hanging out together on Bourbon Street. Oh boy, and it's ju- well, it's just. I mean, could you imagine if it was uh, if you were there tomorrow or today, with uh, Mardi Gras going on? I didn't even realize Mardi Gras was going on. Oh, this yeah. is the time of year for Mardi Gras. Yes. So Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, okay. which is the start of Lent in the Catholic Church, yeah. and tomorrow is Fat Tuesday. Oh, interesting. So you're just missing Mardi Gras. Maybe I'll get the leftovers of Mardi Gras. There you go. Get a leftover baby cake or something. <laughs> do you do you, where do you go down there? Do you go to like all the do you any any spots? I have a few spots. Yeah, Willie's Chicken Shack is really really good. Okay. I go to Cafe Du Monde for yes, beignets you gotta get, and got to get the beignets. Cafe Latte, they call yes. it Latte. Um, but that's about it. And then I hang out on Bourbon Street, of course. Oh yeah. I love walking down Bourbon Street is awesome for the scenery and just the vibe. You just feel alive. Oh, for sure. And and, I mean, anywhere, I I, literally anywhere in New Orleans, you just hear the music and like people playing on the street and and the weather is usually pretty good. It's it's an awesome city. Just different. Very different. 
Very different, but very good. All right, Chris, I can't say that I will see you until, let's see, probably, I will probably, maybe, maybe Monday the 2nd. Monday the 2nd against the Jazz. I think that's the next time I'll be in um, with the combine and everything. But I'll okay. be sure to give you the lowdown on the 40 times and the bench presses and all that. And all the odd questions and that the, the questions. front office members ask all these draft prospects. Yeah, what's your Browns take? What, who, are they, who should they take in the draft? Right. Uh, an offensive tackle. All right. I haven't been able to decide yet between the two of them. The Werfs kid from Iowa is a physical freak. Um, but you can I really never like... go wrong with Midwest linemen. Uh, that's my opinion. Is that true? I mean, do you, do you have backing of that just because Joe Thomas succeeded? Is that what you're going? No, with? I mean there are a lot. You look at um, Taylor Lewan is pretty darn good. I mean, I would have to go through and obviously look through the the amount of Midwest offensive tackles, but yeah. I mean there are so many like Wisconsin and Iowa offensive linemen that are just ridiculous. Yeah, Andrew Thomas from Georgia is pretty good too, and he blocked yeah. dudes in the SEC. So, do you imagine that we're having another Thomas jersey with orange and brown and wearing it uh, as an offensive like? That would be crazy. Yeah. You'd have to be like number 72 or something. You know, you know, it's bad shape for your organization when some of the best players in, in your franchise's history are offensive linemen. I mean, it's, yeah, it's well, you obviously yeah. need them and it helps your quarterback play a lot and you have to build an organization inside out. But I mean, come on, they're, how right, many other how many other fan bases are walking around with offensive linemen jerseys? Uh, exactly. That's exactly the point. I mean, yeah, you got to you, you have to find players that overshadow those offensive linemen, yeah. right? You yeah. you should you need to have great offensive linemen. Every every you know team does, but you need to have players to overshadow those offensive linemen. Browns have not had many of those yet. I did hear good news about the uniforms, though. I heard that we are we're we should be very well prepared for pretty much the traditional ones with that they wore with you know the updated colors. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be at least more fun to watch on the field in that regard. All right. I guess <laughs> uh, so. You're not a, you're, you like the old uniform? I don't like any of their uniforms. Their oh, logo do? is a big orange helmet, Hayden. That's their true. Their colors are brown and orange. You These can are... do whatever you want to in attempt to make that look better. It's not happening. It's not happening. Those colors are hideous. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, we are going to get going. Again, you can just subscribe to our podcast, the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. As always, we appreciate you. Uh, we will see you soon. Enjoy your travels to New Orleans, all right? Mix in gray, browns, or change it to black. Oh, Brown and orange don't work. All right, that's where I'm out. Uh, I don't, we can talk about this another time. I can't silver uh, or gray? Uh, as if Cleveland needs more gray. Come on. Oh, you're right. What, what Cleveland needs is brown and orange, Hayden. Yeah, well, nothing. Yeah, well, at least not gray. All right, Chris, we're going to get out of here. Thanks to everybody for joining us. We will talk to you next Monday on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast right here on Cleveland.com. Take care.